up, everyone? I'm Catherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, we have Jesse Chenard, CEO of Minetigo. Oh, that sounds amazing. CEO of Minetigo. And he is on to talk about what problems blockchain solves for his company, why he likes working with our three, but not too much of that, I promise, because we're talking all blockchain, um, and what they're building on Corda. It's a great episode, so enjoy. In the studio with Jesse Chenard. Thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So, before we get into it, what are we drinking here? Uh, we are drinking my beer of choice, or my drink of choice, uh, Pilsner beer. Mm-hmm. Mermaid yeah. Pilsner. Have you had this before, or did you just I pick have, it randomly? No, 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 I've had it before. Oh, okay. It's pretty good. I've only seen it um, here in the office. Yeah. It has a very interesting can for people who don't, haven't, <laughs> don't see it. It has a mermaid with tattoos on it. Coney Island Brewing Company. Coney Island Brewing. Oh, yeah. Coney Island Brewing Company. Yeah. All right. Mermaid Pilsner. We're going to open it. There you go. Got to open it on the cam- or on the thing. That sound effect was beautiful. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Woo! So, why do you like Pilsners? Uh, not to, uh, I don't know, I, I find that a lot of the craft beers, they, you know, they go too overboard on like, oh, these flavors and bitterness and totally stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of like a Corona guy usually, you know, it's Me like, too. I like to sit on the beach and I like to be able to drink beer and the, plus they're usually not as strong as some of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I enjoy drinking beer. I don't really like to get wasted. Totally. Um, so I, f- I feel like I can sit on a, be- a, a beach and drink beer all day long if it's a light beer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Without having to take as a nap at 2 o'clock. As long as it's cold. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. That's, like, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> actually, it could be the worst or the best, whatever. Yeah, depends. It depends on your mindset. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I actually really, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of Pilsners, but I like this one. Mm-hmm. But it's probably because we have similar tastes with yeah. the Corona situation. With the corona. exactly. Yeah, so. Hmm. <laughs> It's a good choice. This is the first time yeah. I've had on the podcast someone pick a beer from ah, Bar 3. Yeah. And I'm very grateful to you. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking of going, uh, like, tequila or something, but then I was like, well, it is still only 4 in the afternoon. So. Yeah, it is 4 in the afternoon <laughs> when we're recording this. <laughs> Might as well start light and then work. work oh, yeah, work, yeah. yeah. Right we'll about. hit Bar 3 after this. <laughs> Maybe have a few more. <laughs> Feeling good. All right. Thank you for sharing this yeah. with me. I'm gonna... Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Mm. I'm so happy to have you. So, what is your role at Minetigo? Um, so, I'm one of the co-founders, so basically employee number one of, 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 yes. of a few. I have the big um, dog in here. And uh, so, I've been doing technology startups for uh, 20-some-odd years now, and uh, about four years ago, a fellow that I was helping out with uh, on, on some business plan stuff around Bitcoin exchanges mm-hmm. um, turned me on to blockchain, and uh, my background being in IT and technology, building large distributed systems, I instantly saw the power of the, the protocols in the underlying application as opposed to necessarily the tokens that were being passed back and forth. So Totally. You know, that that was kinda the genesis of Minetigo and and uh, and you know sort of what why I got involved. I, I didn't you know Bitcoin speculation stuff's been interesting. I didn't actually wind up making some good money off of it over the years. <laughs> um, but really more my I saw the opportunity to use this. I've I've been like I say building large distributed systems for years and knowing that you know, every time that a, a new digital innovation comes along, it usually means a, 
a massive headache for somebody trying to figure out how to open up an API to share data with somebody else to do it securely yeah. and all the trust issues that come in between. So as soon as I started studying the tech and, and sort of understanding a little bit more, I was like, oh, no, this is there's there's way more beyond this than, than creating yeah. tokens to speculate with. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because a lot of times I have people on the podcast who their initial thing is like, oh, Bitcoin money. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Get yeah. the yeah. money. Yes. Yeah. Um, but with you kind of seeing the tech behind it right away is is pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's uh, it, it it's less sort of exciting and sexy than than tokens and ICOs. Depends and on the who you ask. Economy and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, you know, I I came through the first internet bubble in '99, 2000 type time frame mm-hmm. where you know it, it was almost like it's it's a repeat that you see some, somewhat in the token space today, where you know Wall Street couldn't understand these companies going public, and you'd see people on CNBC going, "No, it's the new paradigm. You don't understand it. Brick yeah. and mortar's dead, and <laughs> and all these different things." And of course, you know, two years later, they were all um, you know um, looking for jobs at the at the large retailers, brick and mortars, and corporates and stuff. So totally, um, you know, I think there's a lot of hubris in in especially from a technology standpoint in mm-hmm. when these technologies are created. And there was this, even from our side of things, you know, um, you know, lots of times I've talked to entrepreneurs who who say, if I had known what I was getting into before I got into it, I never would have done it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it seems like a simple technology problem. You know, there's regulatory, yeah. there's legal, there's geographical considerations and things like that. So, um, you know, from from our perspective, you know, you, you can apply tech in a lot of different ways, but totally. um, how do you do it in a manner that sort of uh, uh, fits in within regulatory uh, sort of frameworks that exist today that doesn't mm-hmm. sort of force people to rip and replace entire systems yeah. and, and sort of slide the tech in there um, and, and provide real use from it. Yeah, no, definitely. And you talk about um, kind of the internet. What similarities do you see in with this technology and this like bubble? You kind of touched on this. Um, and the internet back in 99 when it's really becoming. Yeah, no, I mean, so I think, you know, if you look at the evolution of the internet, you know, it was basically a bunch of academics using it to share research papers and, and short messages to each other and, and bulletin boards and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you, you talk to the guys who created the SMTP standards for email back in the day and, you know, told them about Facebook, they would have, you know, they, they sort of look at you like, <laughs> oh my God, maybe they wouldn't have created all that stuff to begin with. Um, but, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I look at the early you know, sort of the framework of the internet, whether it be SMTP, even back to the NNTP and HTTP and all these underlying acronyms, mm-hmm. um, you, you, you wouldn't invest in an HTTP company. Mm-hmm. You did invest in Netscape because they built a browser that, you know, sort of standard HTML and, and, yeah. and took the transport protocols and what have you. Um, and so I think, you know, we're, we're in a very similar space here where, you know, we, we've gone through that sort of the hype cycle. Yep. And there is a lot of, like, I remember back in, uh, I think, 2002, 2003, 2004, when blogging became big and syndicating totally. content became big, and people were trying to invest in RSS companies. And mm-hmm. RSS is just really, it's just a really simple, it stands for really simple syndication. Um, it's just an XML format. Yeah. You know, there was a company called FeedBurner that Google bought for $400 million, and all they were really doing was just publishing uh, RSS feeds. So it wasn't, the, the beauty of it is, it, 
it, oh, sorry, the, the beauty of it wasn't that really interesting. It was really yeah. just a common plumbing type thing. And um, today we have all sorts of syndicated feeds that, that, that we feed off, but nobody really knows. You know, when you yeah. go into Apple News, a lot of those feeds are probably fed off of similar systems to RSS, um, but nobody cares. Um, yes, yeah. And I think that's the same same sort of thing here with, with, with blockchain. Um, totally. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Our sales process has gone from, hey, we're a blockchain company, to we provide, you know, fraud mitigation services for receivables financing because people understand yeah. that and people will pay for that. And, yeah, yeah. And so instead of going and, you know, getting sent to the IT or the innovation department yeah. and, you know, sort of, you know, it, it, the, the dirty secret in banks is that they're cost centers and, you know, when the CFO yeah. sees the, the, the head of IT or innovation coming, they turn the other way because they, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to hear about the latest and greatest project that's going to cost them a whole bunch of money. Yeah. Um, whereas if we go in and sort of speak to the head of the, you know, trade finance products or, or that business unit and say, mm-hmm. you know, would you like to reduce your costs around uh, fraud and receivables financing? The answer is always yes. You give yeah. them a very simple explanation of the application and, and, uh, and you know, then you get a business sponsor. And then totally. the interesting part is then the business sponsor says, okay, well, you need to go talk to the IT team. The IT team's like grumbling, oh, we've got a lot of projects going on, you know, this, I don't know, <laughs> we're going to fit it in. And, and then you say, oh, but it's blockchain based. And they're like, their eyes light up and they're like, oh my God, we've been waiting to do something. <laughs> Something with blockchain. Um, That's awesome. So it's kind of like a win-win. You get a business yeah. sponsor, but then also the IT uh, and innovation arms of the of the of the banks or the financial institutions feel like they're also engaging with something new and exciting. So totally. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting sort of paradigm shift for us where we we, we don't even talk about blockchain necessarily anymore. And actually, cool. I'll, give, I'll give credit to Dave Sutter from Trade IX. Love Dave Sutter because um, it was at Cybos about two years ago. Uh, three three years prior, I'd met him, and we were both sort of startups, you know, you know, running around looking for the right ideas and the right partners and the right banks. Mm-hmm. The next year, I was at Cybos, and I was talking to actually the R three board member from HSBC. She was like, "Oh, she's like, Trade IX guys." She's like, well, "You know them?" And I was like, "Yeah, I met them last year." She's like, "Oh my God, they're doing it so right. Everyone's talking about them. We're we're gonna do a project." Like, <laughs> and so I saw David at a, at a at a cocktail thing on the floor, and I can't remember. I think it was in Toronto or something like that. Mm-hmm. I cornered him. I was like, "Dave, what did you guys do differently last year? We we're both sort of scrappy, like you know, looking for people." <laughs> He's like, "I did two things." He's like, "One, I stopped saying we." Stop saying blockchain. We just started talking about our trade finance app. Number mm-hmm. two, you know, like this, he said we partnered with R3. Um, oh, wow. I didn't even tell him to say that. Yeah. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's true. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And because, you know, one of the things, and they, they were part of the Hyperledger before, and I think still are. We mm-hmm. are as well. You know, we, we like to keep our you know, our, our fingers on the pulse of everything. Um, but a big problem within that Hyperledger community is, you know, I, I go into a bank and, you know, talk about a solution. They say, oh, what's this built off of? And I say, um, Hyperledger Fabric. And they go, oh, IBM's Hyperledger Fabric? And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, and, um, a misconception. You know, we even had one of the major multinational banks, you know, give us an RFP. Mm-hmm. And then came back and said, oh, we might need to take that back. And we said, why? And they said, well, we've already got IBM coming in to bid on this. So what what would you be, you're, you know, you're going to be reselling their service, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, oh. you know, it's so hard yeah, to, to fight against that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you, when you're doing a company, you're always going to encounter big players who are going to try and, you know, use their weight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it felt like the more that you collaborated with some of the, some of the players, especially IBM, the more you saw them coming in and bidding against you on deals 
sales and things like that. And That's interesting perspective. So, you know, yeah, Hyperledger is a great organization. I mean, Brian Bellendorf and, and the folks from Linux Foundation are top-notch and they really know how to run a project. But I think from a aligning of business interest standpoint, it's, it's harder for startups, uh, especially in the fintech space, to differentiate yourself from yeah. some of, the, some of the, the people involved in that project. So, um, yeah, it's it's from 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 our perspective, the partnership has been amazing. I mean, Yay. I called Todd up. Um, I'd met him once at Money 2020 several years back. I called him up about a year and a half ago and said, hey, you know, your name keeps coming up. Dave Sutter had said it uh, yeah. from, from Trade IX had said it. And then also uh, the block, one of the blockchain leads from HSBC, you know, sort of heard what we we were doing in India and what we were working on. He said, oh, you know, you should talk to R3. Um, and his perspective was a little bit different. He said, well, you know, first of all, what you're doing doesn't overlap with their trade finance projects and, and what have you. And second of all, you guys having a toehold in India is very impressive. And R3 is still trying to figure out how, the, how you know, what, what will work there. And so maybe you guys could work together on something. Totally. Um, and yeah, so since then, it's been it's been like gangbusters. You know, it's... it's <laughs> As I said, I think it's Singapore, you know, they, they were talking like this and, you know, so, you know, make yourself at home. And I was in the office there, make yourself at home. And I was like, oh, I'm already part of the family. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, you have your feet up on the desk. Yeah. Like, you yeah. make yourself at home. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Exactly. That's great to hear. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, the community, I will say, uh, around blockchain in general, for sure. Um, if you're in it, I was actually at a dinner the other day, um, and I, unbeknownst to me, I was sitting next to a woman who worked at uh, IBM in their blockchain group. Okay, yeah. And uh, I I noticed, so I was listening to her talking about, like, AI and convergence of technologies, and I was like, is this woman going to bring up blockchain? <laughs> and I heard her say it, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm at this small little startup. Um, we're in the blockchain. <laughs> chain space and she was like oh well yeah like I, I don't know if you'll know uh, or we'll know who you are but who do you work for and I was like oh yeah R3 she was like you have a big community <laughs> and I was like you work at so it was kind of a funny, uh, yeah. funny conversation. Yeah. Uh, it was, I actually invited her to be on the podcast, and then I told people here they were like, "You invited me <laughs> from IBM to be on Sleeping the podcast." with the enemy. I was I like, know. "Why not? <laughs> we're all friends here." No, I mean, and I think you know, I, <laughs> I, I said this earlier today to someone. You know, the, the the way that this industry grows is through collaboration and, totally. and openness and communication. And you know, I'm I'm more than willing to share you know what we're doing, where where we think that we're our strengths are going to play because the reality of it is is that there's you know probably a million opportunities and about a hundred people going after them right now so yeah. um, you know we in order to create this category and have it be successful you know it, it needs an ecosystem which again is what I've you know sort of liked about the the R the R three approach is you know the, there's there's they're truly trying to build a partner ecosystem around it it's cohesive and. There's just been so many benefits, you know, in terms of like even when uh, we went down to Colombia a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. text Carlos, hey, Carlos, going to Colombia. Give me any notes you've got on all the contacts there. Boom, I get an email back with you know, pretty much the Salesforce database dump, you know? Carlos <laughs> is like, here's my Bible. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's very, 
uh, I think, encouraging and companies like R3 and IBM and, and others, yeah. um, you know, doing a lot of headway on education and, and uh, you know, bringing together partners is, yeah. is, you know, I think very key. Yeah, definitely. On the ecosystem here, I know they, everyone here stresses it so much and um, we're rebuilding our websites, actually, r3.com and quarter.net. And uh, one of our biggest focuses is like make sure the ecosystem is prominent and we're showcasing who we're working with and we're showing all the cool things they're doing. Yeah. We have Marketplace that also does that. Um, so yeah, it's the blockchain space in general is very uh, cool and kind of every time I hear someone talking about blockchain, I'm probably the worst. My friends are like, can you stop talking? <laughs> like, we don't talk about what we do at work every day. But uh, but blockchain space and then just in R3 in general, it's it's great. So yeah. love it. Love coming to work every day. Um, but let's, Boss, if you're listening. Uh, um, I would love a raise. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably a sound studio with windows. Yeah, probably, yeah I would like an air conditioner that's silent. Um, yeah, I know, it gets so hot in here. By the end of the time I'm recording, sometimes I'm like, okay, this was fun, but we need to stop because it's so Pass hot out. in here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I need a water. Yeah. Um, but okay, so let's talk a little bit more about what Monetico does. Give, mm-hmm. give me some more detail, kind of, because I know a lot about the blockchain space. Yeah. Uh, not in a developer way, but I'm getting yeah. there. Um, but I don't know too much about what you guys are doing. Yeah. So I'd love some background. Yeah. So, you know, I think, as, as I said earlier, looking at, um, you know, putting our, our foot forward more as an application developer or a fintech solutions provider is, is kind of the way that we've been we've been talking about it and you know it's it, from my perspective there's there's two real low hanging fruit opportunities one is to provide new communication capabilities between participants in a network who may be competitors mm-hmm. who don't trust each other and you know um, you know, need to share information to, you know, to, to make their businesses better. Mm-hmm. Um, so like our fraud network in India, you know, before we stood that network up, they had no way of knowing whether someone else had financed an invoice. Hmm. And m- most of the world's like that. And yeah. so what do they do? They build into it a, a cost of fraud, you know, cost yeah. of doing business, cost of uh, what have you. That then gets passed on to the, to the, to the consumer of, the, of that good. Mm-hmm. And so by introducing a layer where they all agree to subscribe to, it's very cheap. There's no upfront cost. It's all transaction-based pricing. Um, you know, it's a no-brainer for them to join it because if you, totally. if you can spend 25 cents to potentially mitigate a million-dollar fraud, it's it's worth it for a, a lot and a lot a lot of invoices. <laughs> and then, um, so providing you know sort of networks that provide new capabilities or, or helping stand up networks with applications that provide new capabilities, I think is is kind of one of the the key areas that we've we've found success in. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, it's it's around receivables financing. So invoice factoring, um, but any type of asset that you might take a lien out against, um, mm-hmm. this is applicable to. Um, cool. And then, you know, the other piece is, is, is really around how do we digitize financial workflows? Yeah. Um, it's the most sort of, as soon as I say it, I'm almost bored with myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it's, but it's, it's, it's true, you know, a, a lot of, you know, what we do in our regular lives as consumers is completely digital now. I mean, I, totally. I don't, I don't get bills in the mail anymore. I don't, you know, when I, I get them, I get annoyed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's usually for the wrong person. Um, but um, <laughs> <That's> true, <actually. laughs> 
Um, but uh, it, interestingly, at the business of business side of things, and the corporate side of things, the banking side of things, um, there are so many processes that still require a signature and a fax or, yeah. you know, all these different things where, um, you know, the, the digital revolution is really just catching up to banking in, in my world and government services totally. and insurance. And, you know, if, if you buy a house and you, and you look at all the documents that go into a mortgage closing and all the mechanics and all the things around it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Nightmare. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, being able to digitally exchange the information, apply government approved or legally binding digital signatures to make, you know, the, the complete end-to-end workflow um, eliminate paper um, yeah. is, is, is pretty massive. Um, interestingly, and side, side, sidebar, but around the digitization of services, um, India has lost, I can't remember what percentage of their forest, and it's a lot of it is due to, to creating paper. Um, so, hmm. you know, because they've massive, everything is paper-based over there. It's funny, I you can't go, even imagine. You go into a bank and they've got biometric en- entry sort of sensors and things like that, right? <laughs> okay. They still require the person walking in to go sign in into a physical visitor's log or employee's no. entrance and exit log. Really? And then they walk over to the, to the thumbprint scanner and scan and then they walk in. It's like, you do know that you could just take the data from the thumbprint scanner and you know create this ledger and it could be all digital but no and they, and they and they keep the books too um, I, no I, I, some, way. I talked to someone who got into some dispute and it was all paper based and they required this trail and it took them about 30 days to get all the relevant books from the different document storages and things like that um, oh but so um, in India there's a big push right now around digitizing um, uh, financial or sorry uh, education materials, so testing. Oh, testing wow. consumes up reams and reams of paper for when you've got billions of people. Um, My goodness. So it's it's kind of in a similar vein to that, where there are yeah. a number of things that are, for whatever reason, there's lack of investment mm-hmm. or, you know, sort of lack of, an, you know, sort of uh, momentum or just enough inertia that, that you know, fa- financial services is one, insurance has been another, mm-hmm. education, government services, things like that. So wow. I kind of look at what we're doing as laying the very, very first baby step towards, you know, looking at everything that's paper-based and how do we, how do we eliminate that? Yeah. Especially with, um, a focus on India. That's, that's also super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, so for the first, I'd say two or like three, three and a half years ago when I started going there, everyone said, what are you doing in India? They're never going to buy from you. You're a foreigner. Even if they do buy from you, they're not going to pay you. They're going to steal your ideas, this, that, and the other thing. And, and, uh, you know, India's changed a lot over the last few years and, and there is a big effort to route out corruption and, and gray money and things like that. And so there yeah. is a, there is a, a strong desire, I think, to improve their services and bank the unbanked and what have you. And so, but for two years I kept hearing, yeah, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. I'm you're happy you didn't time. listen and, to them. And then about a year ago, after we got our first deal live, all of a sudden people were like, how did, how did, you, how did you get into India? Can we partner? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, nope. You yeah. doubted me. No, you know, I'm even even, even Finastra, who's here, we share a common client in India. Yeah. And they, they power their trade finance uh, sort of uh, back office systems. And I met them at Cybos last year in, uh, in Australia. And I said, you know, I sort of said to them, oh, so this is what we're doing. You know, I think we've got some common clients. And, you know, it'd be great if we could build a plug-in for your trade finance software to basically push and pull this data into the interface. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, we're really busy. I don't know. Where, where, where do you guys operate? India. They're like, oh, 
oh, well, we only have about five customers in India, but India is super strategic for us. We'd love to work with you guys on this. So oh, awesome. it's turned from being kind of the thorn in my side to, you know, the feather in the cap type thing. So, <laughs> um, you know, we're now moving out of India. We're in Mexico's coming up and, and uh, Colombia, hopefully, and cool. uh, a number of different areas. But yeah, it's, it's definitely been a, an interesting place to get business done. And as somebody said to me um, after asking me that question, I gave my sort of number of different responses. Looks at me and goes, well, it's like one thing's for sure. If you can make it work here in India, you get it to work anywhere else in the world. Well, that's <laughs> awesome, though. So yeah. you started in the right spot. Yeah, yeah. Just pick the most difficult one. And actually, funny at the same at the same point, he said, except Mexico. Mexico is really messed up. No way. And of course. What What are the first two markets that we go after? India's first, and the second one we're going into Mexico. That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like write that person an email. Yeah, like, excuse me, sir. Your information. Get those, get those two off the list, and then the rest of the world will seem like a cakewalk. But seriously, if you start off with the hardest stuff, then everything else you have, like, first off, you have the success story of doing it there. Yeah. And then second off, it's just, it'll all get easier from there. Exactly. You would hope. Yeah. <laughs> you would hope. But one thing you did mention that for me, I um, haven't thought about was for paper, like faxes and yeah. wet signatures and all that stuff, um, they're just an annoyance for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't think about also how it would affect the like trees in India, yeah. them all being yeah. chopped down for yeah. paper. Yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely, it's in my mind, but I haven't really thought about it in this context. Yeah, it, I, I, and I hadn't really thought about it either. I just thought it was annoying as well. And then I, and then I was reading yeah. about, you know, India losing, I can't remember what it was, 40%. And they're doing, actually doing a good job on reforestation now. They, them and China, I think, have been on the, on the front of it mm-hmm. um, in terms of encouraging citizens to just go plant trees. Oh, that's good. Um, uh, but, yeah. I was I was reading this article a couple days ago, and it was it was basically we're trying to switch switch the schools from paper based testing and you know textbooks and things like that to yeah. fully digital because they That's think it great. will save literally hundreds and hundreds of acres of trees. So. Wow, that is really great. Yeah, Gr- growing up on the Damn. west coast of Canada, about, about, amongst a bunch of tree huggers and hippies, I'm like, oh yeah, you go Indians. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm from New Jersey, and I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> but yeah, I feel like. That's such an obvious thing when you're using all these paper-based goods. and Yeah, yeah. To make it digital would be better. Um, so now let's talk trigger words. Uh, wet signature. Wet. Does that trigger you? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think wet signature is, is just kind of <laughs> like it's, uh, I don't know, it almost sounds dirty. Um. <laughs> it does not actually. <laughs> Moving on facts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I think wet signature, I I can't remember the last time I physically signed something that was of importance. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know. Other than a credit card slip, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like. I haven't even signed mine. <laughs> <laughs> when I go abroad, they're like, where's your signature? Like, it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. here's my ID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, the, uh, you know, so that, that type of thing. But in terms of contracts and stuff like that, it's like. Like, I actually just sign it all on my phone. Yeah, no, same. So, facts. Does that bother you? Facts. Facts, see, because I'm older. Faxes were cool. 
Faxes oh, yeah. back in the day, it was like, how do you how do you send with you yeah. know, like sending a letter was you know, or a courier well, was I pretty much. To, I used thing. to do that. I used to fax. I would get my friends' um, fax numbers when I was younger and fax them notes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Stuff. When yeah. like I, my parents so, had no idea I was in contact, like writing letters to my best friends, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd suddenly hear. I'd be in another room and you'd hear that beep. Yeah, beep, yeah, beep. yeah, yeah. So I I've got, got a, I've got a nostalgic love for faxes. You okay. know. Okay. I, I think that was, although it was analog that it went over the, the phone lines, but it was still kind of a leap forward for from from the snail that's mail true. side of things. Okay, that's fair. So, but if you had to use it every day, it would probably be a trigger. Oh, it's so annoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. and then all those black lines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, just a disaster. Okay, courier. Mm. <laughs> I just wrote these down like five minutes before you it's came perfect. in. Perfect, awesome. Just things that bother me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, can we talk about my problems? Um, okay, courier. Courier. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I, I kind of think of couriers more nowadays of, of like Uber Eats, Uber drivers, Uber thing. Like you know. Oh, that's such know, a good it's, point. It's, 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 that brings me so much happiness. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. They're not just bringing papers back like and bring, forth between bring stuff. Messages. Yeah, bringing messages. So, you know, I. I and, and almost even you look at like Amazon, you know, Prime Now, right? Oh, it's yeah. almost like a courier is picking up your oh, thing yeah. and dropping it off for you. So, yeah, for I think sure the, is. the evolution of it, in terms of, I would think it would be a frustration sort of trigger word if it was me waiting for something important. And especially, yeah. you know, like stuff coming from India sometimes takes a few days. Oh, and yeah, you knew getting business it over there, there would and, be terrible. And then they do still require wet signatures and they've, they've uh, got this thing called stamp paper over there. Mm, have you ever heard of it? Uh, I can surmise, but. So, stamp paper, if you want to have a legally binding contract, you have to have it printed on stamp paper, which is tied back to your corporate identity. Because if you have a hmm. dispute within the contract and it's not on stamp paper, you can't take it to court. And huh. they don't have the, the one of the other things that Swift is working on is e-stamp duty, so electronic stamp duty. Yeah. Um, but it's not quite there yet. So if you have any legally binding contract in mm -hmm. India, you actually have to have the physical copy, and, it, wow. and it's printed. It looks like a currency note, the stamp paper. And it actually, depending on the value and the size of the contract, you have to pay a 500 rupee stamp paper or a thousand rupee stamp paper. Or, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, so yeah, so the things like that. So when we've got a contract and you know going back and forth, and, you know, mm -hmm. it can take days to get the, the documents here and Damn. back there. And that's what we're trying to to yeah. get past. Exactly, exactly. That's an interesting dichotomy, trying to like really surge forward in this tech. Yeah. And still having to use stamp paper. Yeah, yeah, it's wild, and uh, I, I, I think it's fairly unique to India. It must exist somewhere else, but I don't know. Mm -mm. You're asking the wrong girl. I'm <laughs> 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 from uh, Summit, New Jersey. Um, but, well, thank you so much for coming in. I Absolutely. had so much fun, and I actually really enjoyed this beer. Cheers. Cheers. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you. Go Manetigo. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone from India, actually, I have the stats from the podcast. There are some people oh, from India cool. who listen. Awesome. So, if this interests you, and Mexico, and anywhere else, that you go because you guys are going to do great. You've already hit the two hardest places. Exactly. It's all downhill so, from here. Oh, all downhill. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much, Catherine. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. The next episode is actually coming out very shortly. I'm doing a quick turnaround on that. So keep an eye out on social media at InsideR3 and at Court of Blockchain um, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Share with your friends and family. Like it, comment, rate it. Um, we also just launched our new websites, r3.com and quarter.net. Uh, we've done a full um, website project for the past few months and my team has been working really hard on it so I'm very proud proud of how they uh, turned out so check those out and let us know what you think thanks bye